Hi, and welcome to The Well Exchange, where we talk about how our spiritual reality impacts our business, our relationships, and more. What is the heart, and how do we live from it? Today on the podcast, we're interviewing Mark Head and discussing the journey of the heart. For more information or to connect with us, please find us at thewellexchange.com or on Instagram at thewellexchange. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Well Exchange. Uh, we're here with our special guest all the way from tomorrow in New Zealand, Mr. Mark Head. It's, uh, it's tomorrow morning there, is it not right now? Yes, it, it, it is. It's September the 1st. It's Saturday and it's yeah, nearly 20 past nine in the morning. So It's even next month there. That's wild. Gre- greetings from tomorrow land. From the fall. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks, thanks for joining us there, Mark. Um, so for those of you who don't know Markhead, we've um, we've known of each other for, for some time, but really are just getting to know each other. Mark has a, a wonderful ministry called The Finding Home Journey and really is um, very knowledgeable at the journey of the heart. And, uh, mm. and so, so that's something we're really passionate about. Mark and I, um, we, we share uh, wonderful mentors in our life named Dennis and Katie Weedrick. And so that's kind of part of the cross-pollination and connection that we have and and um so i have a similar understanding of of intercession of the heart journey and then mark has some really amazing stuff that that he's learned and we're actually getting to do a conference together here in edmonton alberta in october and so we're really excited about that we're excited to have mark and um we thought it'd be great to just jump on and jump into a conversation kind of about what you'd felt to share. But um, it was the other day we were chatting, Mark, and you brought something up about what you used to believe about the heart and then what you now believe about the heart and how God's oh, sure. journey. And uh, and I'd love to chat more about that because um, you you never, correct me if I'm wrong, but you never believed in the heart before or like the, the importance of the heart or something along no. those lines. Yeah. Could you share a bit more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the irony was, you know, my salvation journey started, I mean, I had a pretty radical experience and Jesus came into my heart and completely transformed the direction of my life. You couldn't say transformed everything because we all know the stuff to deal with, but man, the direction of my life changed. And um, I had this wonderful heart to heart experience with him without, I didn't have a language for that. It was called Christianity to me. And this is what you do. And um, and the, the life of that gave so much life to me. I used to talk about Jesus all the time. Like even Christians are sick of me talking about Jesus because my heart had met him. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, after time, I, you know, that, that passion started dying and, um, as it does, and people go, oh, you need to return to your first love, but no one tells you how to do it. And um, and so, but, you know, I was really good at evangelism and, and you know, I used to write music and sing it and, and, and it was a reflection of what was going on in my heart at the time. And even the evangelism I was doing was a reflection of what was going on in my heart. But we were in a church that was all about the work of the ministry and uh, was all about reaching the lost, planting churches, uh, and all that wonderful stuff that you need to do, but but it became about the work and this talk about love and and all that. Like, is this whatever we're doing? Is it in alignment with our mission? You know, which is to see people saved and churches planted. 
And so, you know, if it's if it's not, well, it isn't of any value. And so um, people would talk about to us about the love of God and, and God loves us and God so loved the world and all that. And honestly, it used to make me sick. I like, like, that's not the point. We are here to, my, I've, I've raised my hand by raising Sorry, my hand. I don't know how to turn that off. Um, but... Um, it used to make me sick because I'm like, oh, that sounds all this very nice, hearty stuff, you know, but we're actually about the 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 work of the ministry here and seeing people get saved and healed and delivered and all that stuff, you know, this wussy, don't know if you use that word, pathetic love heart talk is just like for sissies, okay? And yeah, so that's where I was at. So, so now you're like um like the chief sissy so tell us what, <laughs> what, what brought you what brought you from there i'm such you. a sissy <laughs> <laughs> oh that's really funny yeah so, obviously i've changed a little bit mm -hmm. how did that happen mm -hmm. oh i think if you really want success in life you've got to experience failure and and the worst failure possible is the best way and um, so I've been a Christian at this point for 11 years. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'm very involved in church life. I might be in church three or four times a week. I might have been, I can't remember, it was so many years ago. I'm, I was probably leading a small group, definitely on the worship team. Fully involved, right? But I also had a very successful sales career. Uh, uh, and our, our figures were published every month in our corporate magazine, you know, like, and so I wanted to be the best that year. And um, I was on track for being the best that year. And someone let me down at work and um, badly when I was off to do a sales presentation. And, you know, I'm a good Christian in church a lot. Uh, I pray in tongues a lot. I'm probably a better Christian than most, you know, um, um, Excuse me, that's me joking, but that was no, the error. I, 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 I was trying not to laugh. That, that oh, was... yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, it's, for people that, it's for people that don't understand the humor. It's because um, we both come from Commonwealth countries that it's that dry sense of humor. For the for the Americans in the audience, with my wife has a very literal sense of humor. That was a joke. Okay. Mark is a super Christian. <laughs> that's a great explanation. Anyway, I, I was just explain the arrogance we had, really. But anyway, I just failed at work. You know, someone really let me down and I... Um, flicked the switch, blew the fuse, mm -hmm. got really angry, used a, a lot of short words that that I won't share here. But anyway, you know, I was in that moment, if your aim is to be a good Christian, I, that was a complete fail. And, you know, I put a hole in a wall and, and I was 30 at the time, uh, which was only last year. Yeah. No, I was 30 at the time. And um i just didn't know what to do with it greg like what do i do with this i'm in a church that we believe that when a man is in christ he is a new creature old things have passed away behold all has become new and what that meant in practice in our church life was christians don't have problems right. um and so there was nowhere to go with that because i certainly had a problem but i did reach out to one friend who um i, I used to wear a Two a two piece uh, wide lapel suits were very hip back in those days, and we were sitting in this restaurant together having lunch. And I told him, 
you know, beautiful silk tie, the whole deal. Um, I told him what happened and he listened to me and he said two things. The first thing he said, I wanted to punch him in the face. Um, he said, Mark, you need to give this to Jesus. And I'm like my thoughts, I am sick of being told what it is that I have to do. Yeah. You know, like without realizing it, my Christian life that had started really as a heart experience had got into all the things I have to do. And the trouble was, Greg, I could do most of them. You know, like I'm full of enthusiasm. Like I'm, you gotta be enthusiastic for Jesus, no problem. You gotta win people to Christ, no problem. You know, like gotta pray. No problem. I love praying, you know, like, but it had just more and more and more stuff had weighed on me. And I was carrying a burden that Christ didn't die for me to carry, but nevertheless, I was carrying this religious burden. And so then he's telling me, you need to give this to Jesus. I'm like, here's another thing that I, you, I'm coming to you with my problem. You're telling me another thing I have to do. I want to punch you in the face. That was my first thought. And I didn't punch him in the face, thank goodness, because the second line came out and he said this, you're probably wondering how to do that. Yeah. And I'm like, two things occurred to me. Oh my God. It sounds like you're going to help me. And it sounds like there's a way to do this. Like, you just need to give this to Jesus. Like people tell you what to do. You have no idea how to do it. Then it comes another standard that you can't meet. And so he took me to James 5.16. This changed the trajectory of my life. Took me to James 5.16. And he said, oh, I knew James 5.16, right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what the King James says. Yeah. But there's something just before that. It says this. Um, Confess your faults to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And I'd always read that, that if you do that, then you're going to have more signs and wonders, power for healing. I didn't know about the healing of the heart back then, Greg, because I've walked with God for 11 years and never experienced any heart healing. And so I, I he said this, we're in a restaurant. I said, let's do it right now. Luckily, his house wasn't too far away. We went around to his house and I got down in my nice suit and silk tie and told Jesus all about it. And Jesus came into my heart again. He never actually left, but <laughs> the eyes of my heart opened to him coming in. And it was astounding what happened, Greg, because he didn't actually say anything. But he came in like, I'm a guy that doesn't hear from God at this point. I'm a guy that doesn't certainly see things. But what happened was Jesus came and he said, I'm setting up. And he came into my shame. So I used to say, I confess my sin to him. What I would now say is I was vulnerable with my weaknesses with my friend. Yes. And as a result of being in a safe enough place, I realized that I could be vulnerable with my weaknesses and open my heart up as much as I could. Jesus came in and I, he came into an area of my life. I was just deeply ashamed of my behavior and I had nothing I could do about it. But Jesus, he didn't care. He came into my shame. I'm sitting on a stool right now. He said he came and sat down. He goes, I'm setting up shop here. Mm. He said nothing, but it's like he communicated all this stuff. And he <laughs> he sat down in my shame, in my heart, and he stuck his feet up. You know, like you sit down, you put your feet up, put his hands behind his head. I can't put my hand behind my head at the moment. I've got yeah, a damaged yeah. shoulder. And 
he puts his hands behind his head and he just looks at me. He just looks at me with just no judgment, no nothing. And 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 in his face, it was a it was like he this is what he communicated to me. You think this is a big deal? This ain't nothing. This ain't nothing. This ain't nothing to me. And what's more, I've come into your heart here, into this place you're ashamed of, and I'm not leaving. And I'm like, I want you to take it away. He goes, I'm not leaving. I scorn shame, man. That ain't nothing to me. And that started my heart journey, Greg. And once I really found that these parts of my heart that I'd been hiding from God really just didn't want to face it. Uh, once I started facing that, then it led me back to what I first encountered. I, 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 I returned to my first love. And my first love is that God loved me and wanted to meet with me. And so I started meeting him with him in the areas of my life that it, previously I was running from. Mm. So well, that's, that's what started it. So, so for me, when I hear that, it reminds me also of what Jesus said. Um, when he said, um, you're going to cast out demons and heal the sick and prophesy in my name. And in those days, I'll say, depart from me, evildoer, for I never knew you. And so there, there's this real dynamic with God of like, you you need to be known by him in your heart for who you actually are. Mm. Because like, there's no external. Mm. The, the external stuff doesn't matter. You were the super Christian. You were the guy, you know, you, you could do it I all. was the guy. But but it, it didn't matter because you weren't known by God in that moment. From what I'm hearing from what you're saying, like you were known by God and in that being known, you were safe. And, you know, Jesus communicated all these things without actually saying anything. Now, mm. something I did, did want to ask you as we're chatting, because this is such an ambiguous term for people. That's um, it's super important. How would you define the heart? Because like we oh. see that in scripture. We're like, oh, it's the heart. You asked me an easy one. Yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you're well, you're the super Christian, Mark. That's why I asked you. Okay, well, let me give let me give you a um, broken down super Christian version who's met Jesus in his heart and started to walk with him. Love. Your heart, actually, Greg, it's a very good question. Your heart is actually who you are. So, um, it's ironic that, and your heart actually has the capacity to believe. So it talks about believing in your heart. So most of us are trying to believe in our mind. So your mind is not who you are. Your mind is part of who you are because when you say this statement, I changed my mind, mm -hmm. your mind is now over here because you changed it. So you own your mind because your mind is not you. It's something you own. Like I've got a RAV4. I changed my RAV4 and got a new one. I didn't. But you know, so your mind is something that... It's very intrinsically part of who you are, but it's not who you are because you talk about it divorced from yourself. Mm. I changed my mind. I had a new thought. I started thinking differently. I, there's I, and then there's my thought. I, then there's my mind. I, then there's my thinking. So without realizing it, we're separating ourselves from our thinking anyway in our mind because it's not who we are. That's one thing. Secondly, we're not our emotions. So uh our emotions are something that we feel and that's what feelings are there's emotions and then there's feeling our emotions so our emotions are one thing our feelings are another but we are not our emotions because we say i feel sad i feel angry well, if you're a good christian you never feel sad or angry right no joking 
Um, you just he, never. He, he just never it. felt sad or angry. <laughs> right. So, yeah. He wasn't a man of any sorrow. That was sarcasm again. You can't see our faces. Jesus was both sad and angry. It's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. We saw him in the temple that day with his whip. And yeah. so, um, so our emotions aren't who we are. That that our emotions. I taught my kids our emotions are real, but what they tell us isn't always real. So we are. We are at a. So our heart is deeper than our mind, because the Bible says there is a love that surpasses knowledge, or there is a love that passes knowledge. It really means it's deeper than knowledge. Mm. So our heart is deeper than our mind. Our heart is deeper than our emotions. It's the core of who we are. Um, so I'm thinking right now, I'm aware when I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking in this part of my mind here. So this is where my conscious is when I'm talking to you. So, yeah. So our heart is is, is the essence of who we are. The our identity is where our heart. Our, we carry our identity in our heart. That's who we are down there. Trouble is, we don't know our heart. The trouble is, we don't know who we are. Yeah. So, um, and that's why God's love of us is so important because Romans five five says. He pours his love into our mind. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't say that. It says he pours his love into our emotions. Well, no. maybe he does, but it doesn't say that either. He says he pours his love into our heart. Mm -hmm. And so this is the place that he meets with us. We invited Jesus into our heart. We and Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit is poured into our heart. So our heart is our meeting place with God. It's also our identity. So he meets us in our identity, which is super cool. So. I love that. No, just, I just had a call before this. And uh, on that call, um, I was saying to them, it never occurred to me before that call, actually, that can you imagine if, if you said to your wife, I think I love you. Like, what would that make her feel? Would that make her feel secure? Probably not. I feel Probably like, not. I, I feel like I love you. So, yeah great like who who cares that you feel like that because you could feel something different tomorrow but it's like i yep. love you with all of my heart what you're saying is i love you with everything that i am right yeah, so, yeah. so you know we say that to our kids too i love you with all of my heart and we say yeah i love you with all of my heart now i think i love you because we know intrinsically that our thoughts can change but yeah absolutely but in western society we let we elevate the thought life the the intellect that you know we understand the greek history of all that and, and all that um, yeah the separation of the heart and mind yep exactly yeah but um but but your heart is is you i love that mm. Mm. well i really think you you said it really well then i love you with all my heart i love you with all that i am mm. that's huge love yeah. you with all that i am and so that's all that i am that's our heart so intrinsically tied to our identity so well so and, and now now love gets gets poured into our heart into the core of our being and it starts to affect our mind and our emotions and our will and all of these things um angela just texted and she said how do we trust ourselves then if our hearts are deceitfully wicked oh she's again, oh we're just, we're just asking what a great question today. yeah what a great yeah you really guys are getting out the tough stuff i've actually done a study of the old well i've actually done a study of the whole bible and looked at every scripture on heart hearts heart, 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 heart and i wanted i was looking for patterns 
But when we came to Jeremiah 17, verse 9, which you're referring to there, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Um, yeah, people have set up shop there. And like, like in our church, we had this whole theology on salvation. We thought anyone that invited Jesus into our heart was like, oh, yeah, well, why would he want your heart? It's deceitfully wicked, you know? <laughs> so gee, I wish I, I wish I'd know. I, I don't usually speak from notes, but right now I wish I had my notes with me because I, I, I've actually unpacked the, the, uh, the Hebrew and read a whole bunch of stuff around what, um, what Jeremiah is speaking there. And one of the ways you can look at the heart being deceitful and desperately wicked is desperately wicked is also um, in, uh, translated incurable. Wow. So um, the heart can be seen at the state that Jeremiah is seeing it in that moment is that it's incurable. So Desperately wicked and curable. In other places, that word is translated incurable in the Old Testament. The other thing is that um, if you, I can't remember that which of the two words, but um, also either of those two, one of the two words can be uh, interpreted as they're polluted. Our heart is polluted. Now we can accept that. Yeah. That our heart has become polluted because you've got lovely little children looking forward to coming and meeting them. Um, you know, their hearts are literally so pure, but life pollutes them. I specifically remember going to primary school in New Zealand with and every child in my year and that they were just little kids running around. And then for quite a few of them, we have a, a middle school situation in New Zealand. I went to a different middle school and then and then we were back at high school together. I was shocked. They hadn't seen these kids for two years. I, I wasn't a Christian or anything, but I was shocked in how uh, the last time I'd seen them, they'd been little children, and now they were troubled teenagers. And I remember thinking, I, I don't understand what this is. you know. And one of them I can think in particular, uh, I was at school with him. We used to both be good at running, and we were sort of neck and neck all the time. But he was a lovely little kid. I saw him on a street outreach years later, and he was showing off that he'd stabbed someone. So he'd gone from this little kid to this guy who was celebrating being violent. So I can it's observable that his heart had been polluted. There's another trend, and somewhere else, oh gosh, I wish I had my notes here. Did I say that before? Where it says the heart is crooked. With the notes, we don't have to worry about it because they can just hear more about it at the conference, right? Oh, absolutely. So, so it, it talks about that the heart is crooked. So, so then you could think of the heart becoming one polluted through life or twisted and contorted, mm. crooked. And so when, 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 um, so the whole Christian experience is us being brought back to a heart, heart connection with the Father. Yeah. And, um, um, and this heart that supposedly is desperately wicked. And really what, what people have told me is I just thought I should stay away from my heart because it's desperately wicked. I don't want anything to do with these emotions and all that sort of stuff. There. Right. But Paul writes, Paul, not Paul, John the Baptist is prophesying about Jesus. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be fulfilled. It talks about the crooked being made straight. He's actually talking about our heart. 
the, the crooked parts of our heart are going to be made straight when he comes. The, the parts that are empty, they're going to be filled. And so Jerem we see Jeremiah here, 17, and we look at it by itself. But you need to see it in the context of the whole book of Jeremiah, because in Jeremiah 31, he's, the Jeremiah starts to prophesy about the new covenant. And in the new covenant, he specifically says that this heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful, apparently, if that's correctly uh, translated, he's now going to uh, make a new covenant with Israel. He's going to take his laws and he's going to write them on our heart. Mm. So this thing that's desperately wicked, God doesn't see that that's terminal. Yeah. He sees actually this part that's become twisted, contorted, polluted, um, and our hearts do deceive us. Um, they deceive us. You know, like, here's an example. We get saved, we love Jesus, and we see the people on stage, uh, and you know, leading the worship or preaching or whatever, and people love them, or so it seems. And then we think, I want to do that. Why? And why do we want to do that? Because I want to be seen. Why do I want to be seen? Because I want to be loved. And so then we can get into ministry because we want to be seen and loved. Now that legitimate desire of our heart to be seen and loved is legitimate and God can meet us there, but our heart's deceiving us and saying, you got to go and do that to get the, the seen and loved. So that's the deceit aspect. But the, the desire of the heart's actually legitimate to be seen and loved. And actually Jesus came so that you and I and everybody listening can be seen in love, but that's how our heart's deceitful. But it is the part of us that God has chosen to meet us in. And then Jeremiah saw that in this new covenant that you and I are now in and anyone else listening, he has chosen to meet us in our heart. So Jeremiah saw this, but then Ezekiel saw the same thing and he wrote about it too. And he said in this new covenant that God would give us a new heart and a new spirit, and then put a spirit in our heart, and then take the heart that's twisted, contorted, polluted, deceiving, and he's going to make that hardened heart. Mm. He's going to make it into a heart of flesh. And why? So he can pour his love into it, and then mold us and shape us according to his love of us. Wow. And he's going to do that in our heart. I, I love I love that you didn't have your notes because that came out of your heart right now like that. Okay, I accept I, that. I love that seriously. It it was that was incredible. Um, so like taking the heart of stone and making it heart of flesh is the scripture you're just referencing, and that's kind of the journey that God takes us on as love fills up our hearts and yeah, and we become alive, right? Uh, the heart of flesh, and there there is that one key scripture that that we talk about quite a bit: guard your heart above all else for out of it flows the wellsprings of life and so you're living from your heart no matter what yeah that's, that's just the reality yeah that's a, that's a great quote you're living from your heart no matter what whether or not you reject it you're still living from it <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. well, i know um you teach on this and this is kind of a more of a, a modern revelation and i know we're going to probably get into it like more in depth at the conference but would you at yeah. a talk about the the metamorphosis of the heart and that whole journey and even how you you hated naming it that because um it, i think it's such a great um way to help people quantify the journey that they're on and that you know even just tell us a bit more about the finding home journey in that process 
Yeah, well, so I, I was um, part of Father Heart Ministries for about a dozen years, and, you know, I led the ministry for five. And um, during that time, I started to see that there was a disconnect between what people were experiencing in the environment of schools and conferences and, and all that, which is fantastic, but there was actually a disconnect in their life. So we all know what it's like. We have these incredible encounters with God, and then we go home, you know, and then we might argue with our wife or get annoyed with someone in the traffic. I don't know if that happens in Edmonton. Um, doesn't, right. And so that's great. Uh, I'm looking forward to being there and not having that. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a, we recognize the disconnect between this wonderful environment of God and then living in our life at work and all of that stuff. And so I, I actually put together a school called the H School, which, um, addressed in the context of our own lives. But the problem that I saw was that sort of, although the solution I felt in some ways um, contributed to the problem because I'm, we're bringing out people out of their busy lives into an environment where they can receive the Father's love. Now, you need to do that. But then what do you do when you go back to your busy life with what you've received here? If there's no crossover or no integration, um, it, it, it can be like it never happened. And then we're sitting there back there later going, oh, that conference was so amazing. What happened to that? You know, I've got to go. And so we're wondering how to do it. So, and then we try to apply it, which yeah. is a good idea. But you know what? Any application that doesn't come out of who we are turns into works and it'll kill us. Mm -hmm. So I started to see this. And then, um, you know, as I transitioned out of the leadership role, um, it became clearer and clearer that, not only was it an issue, for some it was a real problem um, that they were receiving this deep revelation. It was wrecking <laughs> their works-driven Christianity and uh, and they wanted it wrecked, but they it was like, sometimes we would call those encounters train wrecks, right? You have this train wreck encounter with God and it's amazing and it's a reset, but then you've got no track to run on. Mm -hmm. And so I was calling out to God about and I started to talk to some people and one guy in Canada in particular said, Mark, some people hate you. And I'm like, why is that? He goes, because this revelation comes, it wrecks their life and then you give them nothing, no tracks to run on. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. So I, I was just really calling out to the Lord about that and he, um, about where are people now and where do they want to be? People want to be flying, but they feel stuck on the earth. Mm -hmm. um, who do I serve? Well, I, I, I believe I serve one group of people that have been really touched by the Father's love and don't know how to live from that place in the rest of their life or live out of it in their life. And so that they have that frustration. And then um, how do, and then the third question that came was, you know, where are they now, where do they want to be? And then how do they get there? And I'm like, oh, I've got no idea. And yet I recognize I've been in this transformational process for 30 years and that I've had encounter and I, I i would have had hundreds of encounters with god that have transformed aspects of my heart and i've and people comment on the growth they haven't seen me for a couple of years they can see that i've grown and changed and easier to live with now and um but I, how do i quantify that yeah. you know how do i call it something so i can pass it on and i'm like father i have no idea and then he just said to me metamorphosis and i'm like that sounds good. 
but I'm not doing the caterpillar to the butterfly thing, God. So we've got to find another metamorphosis. But as I studied, studied the bi biology of the caterpillar to the butterfly, I realized in Corinthians, it says in one of the later chapters of 1 Corinthians, first in the natural, then in the spiritual. And I've always sort of thought that was the wrong way around. You know, no, surely it's spiritual first and then natural later. But what that shows us is that the natural can inform us of the spiritual processes. We can look at it in the natural and go, wow, here's, that, that mirrors the, um, it mirrors the spiritual process that we're in. And so then I started looking at that and I started looking at the caterpillar, the butterfly. It sounded so... So sissy, right? Because you're like now the chief sissy wow. guy. So it was it worked perfect. Preschool stuff. Anyway, yeah, sissy. So I'm like, I'm fighting it and I start studying the biology of it, and it's just perfect. And what I realized understanding that metamorphosis process, I see the six stages of that. It actually charts why we when we got saved jesus came into our heart and he set us on a journey of heart transformation except most of us weren't aware of that mm -hmm. and so you know we are talking about love pouring into our heart and it transforming us and that sounds incredibly positive you know roses chocolate just teddy bears and all of that stuff but that transformation uh you know from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that doesn't happen instantly and um in fact he comes into areas that it's uncomfortable we don't like it we think what's the matter with me why am i feeling this way i meant to feel like i'm full of love all the time but i'm feeling angry and so as i charted this these steps of metamorphosis which i'd see the caterpillar stage of course and then the chrysalis stage which is a really intriguing stage where at times where god is leading us we feel like we we've come away into isolation and the relationships that we once really fed us or the places that really fed us don't anymore. And there's a sort of deserty, cocoony experience where we don't know what's going on. Then within the, you know, the process of the caterpillar turning to a butterfly, within the chrysalis, this enzyme's released that turns the entire caterpillar into soup. And so many of us, as we encounter revelation, of course, I know a lot about the revelation of the Father, but there's other revelations that come. So as revelation comes to our heart and transforms our heart, it breaks down all the strongholds that are holding us from that transformation. But those strongholds, they can be good things, you know, like I'm a good Christian and these are all the good Christian things I do. And love comes and goes, yeah, you've got to be joking. I want to love you more than your good Christian behavior makes you think you deserve. And so, you know, we can, I, I'm sure people listening to this will recognize those times where it's like you're losing everything. Some people call that deconstruction. Yeah. So there is a, there's a time where you're losing everything, but in that metamorphosis process, we could see that as a death process, that first half. So by stage, by stage one, two, three, you've gone into soup stage one and soup stage two what happens with the caterpillar, this is astounding, the soup, all the DNA is the same, but this is this thing called genetic expression where you, you and I have all this coding in us that just sits there innately, just sitting there, and then it's at times it switches on. So during the metamorphosis process, the, the, the 
genes, say, for the caterpillar, the genetic expression of butterfly and wings get, starts to express. It's been in the DNA, but now it's expressing. And so for us, as, as our heart has transformed this different this DNA that we are, different parts of it start to express. And so we start coming into things that we've never known before, just like the, you know, just like a caterpillar, all of a sudden it's got wings on, doesn't know what those are or what they're for. So even, even in that stage where we're coming into new things, there's always a struggle. We always need to encounter God in those moments. Then, of course, you know, the, the caterpillar um, gets to the end of soup stage two and you've seen these pictures of there's a butterfly within a chrysalis and, you know, it's stuck in there. It's formed, but it can't do anything. And there's times in our life where we feel we're really gifted, called and capable and we're not doing anything and we think like we should. It can be incredibly frustrating. So even in those moments, we can meet our God. Then there's the emerging stage and the flying stage, but I feel like I've talked too much about that for now. No, no, keep going a little bit more on the emerging and the flying, if you will. It's, it's... So when a when a when a uh, uh, in the emerging stage, when the butterfly now, because the genetic expression of the same DNA has brought about a butterfly, when that emerges, it's not like a butterfly knows what to do with wings because it's never flown before and it might not even know it's a butterfly. You know, it might still think it's a caterpillar. Who knows? And so. When we come into a lot of the things that God has for us, where as he transforms us, we're not going to necessarily be comfortable with what they are. Like, you know, like I, Canadians and New Zealanders, there's a lot of similarities. And, and, you know, in New Zealand, you're not allowed to boast. You're not allowed to show off. You know, we should be more, you know, you're not allowed to be like our American friends who just, We, yeah! we got a tall poppy syndrome in Canada. That's... We got a tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand too. And so I never got the memo personally that you're not allowed to enjoy yourself, you know, but um, you got to be sort of strong, silent type. I missed that memo. And, but anyway, you know, at this time when we start to emerge, you know, something in us is very real and we, we might not want to show off our wings because, you know, somehow maybe that's not humble or something. And so we struggle. And so you see the uh, butterfly when it emerges from the chrysalis, which is quite sudden, actually, the, the, the emerging. Um, it sits there for a while and finds out what wings are and what to do with them. And so the, in that stage, there's a finding out of who we are in this space. That's why having people around us is so important. And then there's the flying stage. And what's key about the flying stage is none of this is easy, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Even the flying stage is like, what's flying? <laughs> but in the flying stage, we know who we are. Mm -hmm. We know um, what we're called to. We know what our gifts are. And really important, we know, we know who we're with. Who's with us in this that's supporting us and together as one. And then fifthly, we know where we are. And so that might mean geographically moving. It might mean being in a different community, a different country, a a different something. So all those things come into place and we're and we are in this flying stage till we fly into our next metamorphosis stage. So well and I think so a couple of things you've said um that we go through in the process are that um our hearts can go through different metamorphosis stages or different parts of our different parts of our being and the core of who we are can go through different stages of the metamorphosis. So there's like a general picture, but then there's specific areas where yeah. we're into greater levels of identity and all of that. Um, but something that struck me as you were talking, I think you've mentioned this before, but with a caterpillar, a caterpillar is doing a lot of work, but it's doing a lot of consuming. 
So it's yeah. just wiggling around on the ground and and eating and consuming yeah. until I guess the place of of you know going into this metamorphosis journey into chrysalis and soup stage one and two, and then um, and then we go. In, so it's it's all about the caterpillar at that point and then, yeah and, and and it's all about the caterpillars hanging out with the caterpillars and doing things that caterpillars do you know like that's why as we go through that process we're hanging out with all our buddies consuming the same sort of spiritual food but as the lord draws us to himself in a deeper way we can be drawn away from that and that can be really confusing well the the thing that was striking me though is, is as we come out of you know soup stage one and two and into emerging and then really flying because everyone wants to fly but flying is a lot of work. But the purpose of flying for a butterfly is reproduction. It's actually it's actually external to itself. Now its mission isn't just wow. itself to survive. It's it's to multiply out. And uh, and I think that's been really true, at least for us, if, if we've been experiencing this this journey of of you know starting to learn how to fly. We're at the early stages of that. I think it's um it's really just understanding that there's a lot of multiplication and it's a lot of work. It's kind of like we use the analogy of a harvest with with Christians. You know, we have we have we live on a farm now, so we have chickens, we have a little garden. There's a there's a big you know, full quarter section behind us, 160 acres. They're in harvest season right now. Harvest season uh, to any farmer is major major work season, and um, and so it, you know, I think there's comfort in the in the understanding that if you're in you know, the chrysalis stage or soup stage one or two, or even emerging, that's okay. It's okay to have a season of rest and God mm. doing something mm. in your heart because, you know, that is the good work. God, you know, one of our other mentors says this, that God isn't fathering us for immediacy. He's fathering us for eternity. Wow. And, and so just that understanding that, um, you know, we're going to be flying at some point. Um, like, you know, we don't go to he heaven's not some retirement club for Christians. Like we still are actually doing stuff in heaven. And, um, and so just to be in the journey where you're at, I think it's um, absolutely crucial. Yeah. And, and probably one of the greatest delights for me is that as I, I mean, at the conference, I'll be drawing all this and be able to see it visually. Everyone I've shared the metamorphosis map, especially when I draw it, I've asked them, where are you on this process? And they've gone, I think I'm here. You know, it's like, it's very empowering to know where you are. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what, you know, we unpack, what are people thinking, feeling and doing in those phases? And you go, oh my God, that was me. Yeah, like I am. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I find it tremendously empowering to help people where they are so that they can, I mean, I remember when I was sharing with someone and they said, soup stage one, Mark, I thought I was going to be here for the rest of my life. And uh, um, so I find that, you know, tremendous. And the whole thing is, for me, is understanding this process. You might have to go through it. You'll have to go through it a few times in different areas of your life. Um, you fly to the next one, uh, the next transformation process. But the whole thing is, is that God has created us in his intention. Uh, he made us in his image and his intention is to bear that image to the earth. And, and to bring the most authentic version of who we are to the earth. So, you know, the Greg Foss version is the best version that we want to see of Greg. And we don't want Greg to be anyone other than he is. And so just to be sure, you know, Greg and I are in ministry, but in my heart, I don't carry that. You know, if anyone's living to their fullest potential that they're in ministry, the fullest potential is bringing forth 
the creation that God made you to be and you becoming the most authentic version of yourself that you could that could ever be. And that's the metamorphosis, the vision of metamorphosis that I carry. I love that. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, well, um, really quickly, uh, I know we got to go, but um, how can we connect with you? I, I, yeah, I'm not really good at that part. I'm, um, I have a Facebook page, Finding Home with Mark Head. Uh, I, I, I have something on Instagram. I don't know what it's called. Um, and I've got a website called something. Isn't it? Maybe it's home called findinghome.net. Actually, findinghome.net. Yeah. There you go. I'm really bad at that part. And all of it needs revamping and everything. But I'd love you to come on there and sign up, and and I could be in contact with you, and you could hear more of this. But I'd really like to actually meet you person to person and. Edmonton with Greg and Angela. That will be awesome. That'll be wonderful. And just to mention, Greg, because you're part of that, you know, I have a, a online membership um, really to, uh, that we focus on all of this stuff to understand the metamorphosis map, understanding the journey, understanding where we are on the journey, understanding our hearts and understanding how God is present to us. And then the fifth element we have in our membership is a, is a group of people that are holding space for us to help us in our journey. And um, if you're interested in that, just I'm, I'm opening it while I'm in Edmonton. Ooh. So it's a closed group otherwise. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, we are looking forward to having you up here and we're going to be connecting more before that. But um, um, yeah, mid October, we have the dates and those will be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time, Mark, and we're looking forward to connecting with you again. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. So please find us at The Well Exchange on Instagram and send us a message.